Real quick before we dive into today's show, did you know that on average recruiters take six seconds to scan a resume? No pressure in submitting your application, right? Well, six seconds aside, it's easy to become overwhelmed when it comes to updating your resume, I know. But I've got some good news, I can help. I've created a simple resource to support you and trust me when I say this, updating your resume doesn't need to feel daunting. Check out the resumerefreshchallenge.com to download your resource today. Again, that's the resumerefreshchallenge.com to download your resources today. Hello, and welcome to the Own Your Career podcast. If this is your first time listening, you should know that I started this podcast to inspire and motivate ambitious professionals get into action with all things career. Today's conversation is with Vancouver-based coach and facilitator Kaylee Benjamin. Growing up as the daughter of entrepreneurs, Kaylee always knew that she would end up one herself. Her career journey began in the corporate world, and as time went on, she uncovered her purpose to lead with kindness and to transform and shift perspectives on motherhood. Today, Kaylee shares with us her career journey, how she learned about matrescence, and why it's important for all humans to understand the process of becoming a mother. Kaylee is a brilliant thought leader, and I know everyone will learn from our conversation. Without further ado, here is my chat with Kaylee. Hi, Kaylee. Thanks so much for being here at the Own Your Career podcast today. Hi, Jenna. Thank you for having me. Sincerely, I always appreciate the opportunity to be on podcasts and take it as such an honor and privilege to be on podcasts. So thank you. Yeah, of course. As I was thinking about guests to connect with, and obviously we reached out over Instagram and we were chatting over DMs and we've worked together in the past. And I think your message is so powerful and needs to be shared with the world. So any way that I can help as well you know, promote you and what you're up to. I would love that opportunity. So here we are. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to pass it directly over to you to start with who you are, letting everyone know a little bit about yourself. And I'd also like you to touch on your cultural upbringing as well. So I'll pass it over to you. Yeah. Yeah, of course. My name is Kaylee Benjamin and I currently live in Vancouver, but I was born and raised in Alberta, in St. Albert in Alberta. And I think often in my cultural background, in my history, I'm like many Canadians, I'm a European settler and a descendant of of European settlers. My father's side was farmer. They were farmers in Saskatchewan. And my mom, her parents of British ancestry, they landed in Calgary and were laborers. And my family really carries that immigrant spirit and that hardworking immigrant spirit. And I also don't take that lightly in terms of the land that I'm now on. And something that I witnessed in my parents growing up is that they had a very serious entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit within them. Mm-hmm. My parents own their own business. For most of my childhood, they own their own travel agency. Oh, cool. And we, we got to travel as a family a lot. And they instilled in me independence and taking risks and the value of travel and seeing the world and also more implicitly the value in autonomy and having your own business and your own independence. And so that has really left more of a lasting mark on me than I realized as I've come to where I am in my career. Very cool. And so what else, how else do you think that this entrepreneurial spirit and how you were raised and brought up has impacted how you decided to move throughout your career? Mm. Having seen my parents own their own business and my parents own multiple businesses throughout their lives and 
they really had a spirit about them that was like, try things. And it didn't always work out. Yeah. They had a couple of failed businesses for different reasons. And I saw that firsthand. And, and then they like got back on the proverbial horse, if you will, and like, yes. and tried again. So it, that is really what influenced me in my own career, like trying things out and being okay if it doesn't work out, like that you can try again and that it's not about it being perfect or successful the first time. And so I think in my own career, you know, coming out of university, I, I worked in the corporate world, but I also knew in the back of my mind that I always wanted to work for myself in some shape or form because I saw what that allowed my parents in terms of our family life. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I wanted to do it the same. I wanted to do that as well. So that's sort of been in the back of my mind. It took a lot longer for me to get there. We can get to that later, but it took me a lot longer to get there than I thought it would for very good reason. But I always had that seed planted that I too wanted to own my own business. That's really cool. And we were talking right before we hit record around that, like try and just put it out into the universe, whatever it is that you're working on and just see, are people going to receive it or not? And if it doesn't, then you pivot and you continue on and I appreciate that so much. And now I know where it comes from. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Okay. So when you're not at work, because we're going to get into actually your career journey and telling us about that. But before we get there, when you're not at work, what are you up to? <laughs> my life right now is a, a big part of it is my three-year-old and doing activities that are centered around a, a thrill, almost three-year-old. Mm-hmm. So my husband and I living here in Vancouver and I'd say our, our my time looks like going to music class, yeah. <laughs> going to art class, going to the pool, swimming lessons, yeah. going to the park. One beautiful thing about having our son is that we spend so much time outside mm-hmm. with him. And it's so nice, especially this fall, just enjoying being outside and being in, in nature as much as we can. I... Really, truthfully and honestly, if I'm not at work, I am napping or I'm watching (laughs) Netflix or I am exercising. I still love yoga as I have for many years, yoga and meditation and got my Peloton throughout the pandemic. And I, one thing that really lights me up is dancing. And so I'm back into dance classes. Did you dance as a kid? I did. I grew up dancing. Okay. What genre? Yeah. Well, I grew up doing like all classical things like tap and ballet and jazz, but now I do street jazz. It's like I'm in a Beyonce video when I'm dancing or an NSYNC video. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. I'm inspired. I truly cannot dance. I'm not just saying that. I, I have no rhythm, but I admire people who can, people who can sing and people who can dance. I love watching and listening. I, I really one day, maybe I'll learn a few moves and they will be my only ones for the rest of my life, but yeah, don't have two left feet for sure, for sure. Yeah, well, anyone can dance. I mean, and a shout out to here in Vancouver, there's a studio called Formation Studio. Okay. That's where I've just started going back to. And it's for anyone and everyone of all levels and abilities. And it's one of the things that I do for me. I love Eve Rodsky's work. Okay. And she has two books. One is in called Fair Play. Mm-hmm. The other one's called Unicorn Space. And dancing for me is my unicorn space. It's the space where I feel activated. I feel lit up. I feel passionate. I'm in community with other people and I feel uninhibited and connected to myself. Oh, I love that so much. It brings me so much joy. Mm -hmm. And okay, so this is a little bit off topic, but I'm curious because you touched on, you know, doing something for yourself and creating the space and time for yourself. And did you ever struggle with doing that? Especially after having a little one. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Over and over again, I struggle with it and revisit it and recommit to it. I think after having my son, I think for the first, I don't know, year, 18 months, 
it's an intense time in those early postpartum months. And I felt a strong attachment to my son and we had a breastfeeding relationship and he didn't take a bottle and we co-slept and all things that I, none of those did I anticipate, but I ended up choosing in motherhood. And so it what felt difficult to step away. And then after like the, there were physical reasons that it was harder to step away, but then came more psychological reasons of like, needing to actually let go and needing to allow my husband to step up and not micromanage and needing to commit to myself and ask for more support through our nanny or through babysitters. And like that all takes effort and time to make it happen. It's like, so often we're like, moms, go out and make time for yourself. But there's so much back work that it takes, like behind the scenes work in order to make the time for yourself. I never underestimate just how much effort it takes when, uh, a mother or someone who cares for others shows up to a dance class. It's like there were logistics involved to get yes. them there. <laughs> yes. Oh, I totally relate to all of this so much. When do you know that it's time to create the space for yourself? Like, are there points in time you said that you're, you recommit to it. Sometimes it's, you fall off. And so I'm curious at what points in time are you like, okay, it's time. I know that I need to recommit to this space for myself. And I ask that from like the place of not the point where it's like totally you've gone off the rails and you're like, I need help. But before you've got to that point, how do you recognize it? Yeah. For me personally, it's when I notice that I'm rushing and I feel like I don't have enough time. Mm. When I start to notice that being the overarching feeling in my life, I'm like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do this. I got to get there. And I find myself trying to like multitask and do so many things at once that's when I know I'm on the path to overwhelm or like to getting towards burnout but I'm not I'm not there yet those are like the clear signs for me and that's when I need to a slow down and b recommit to myself like have some time that fuels me and brings those back on also it I mean I'd add to that when I feel really when I feel really tired and depleted that's usually because I need to be committing to myself I need to (laughs) go to bed earlier and I need to do things that bring me joy and it can seem counterintuitive because I'm like all I want to do is like sleep or like I want to like rest but I actually also need to get out and go to dance class and exercise and move my body and take care of myself nourish in order to feel better okay that's so great so this ties in to your career journey for sure and I Mm -hmm. think what is one of the callings of your life do you want to walk us through wherever you want to start in your career journey and your career path and then how you ended up doing what you're up to now. Yeah. Where to begin? Yes. <laughs> I always thought that I wanted to be a psychiatrist when I was a little girl. I was so fascinated by the study of people and why people behave in the way that they do, why they make the choices that they do. And so I was drawn to psychology and specifically psychiatry. And I went to university on that path and that plan. And I had a wonderful experience studying in France where I learned what it meant to really, truly live and to really savor life and to really admit to myself that I was following a plan simply because it was the plan, not because it was something that I wanted to be doing anymore. It was like what I I said I was going to be a doctor when I was a kid and I stuck to it, but I no longer actually loved it. Mm -hmm. And so I was fortunate at the same time, kind of colliding into my life, had a a good friend of mine and her dad became a mentor of mine and he was in the work of leadership development. He introduced me to this whole concept and world of leadership development before I even had any idea what this was and helped me to take that step in my career 
in that to still pursue psychology, but to look at psychology from an organizational lens. And to look at, I also studied sociology, looking at the sociology of work and the sociology of workplaces. And so I, my career then began in leadership development and I spent time across a whole raft of different industries. I started in heavy equipment mining. <laughs> I then moved to local government. I moved to Australia and I worked in local government. And then I worked for a top tier law firm for quite a while. And then I made the move back to Canada and worked at Lululemon. And after that, started my own business. And in there, sprinkled in there somewhere, I also worked in a consulting firm. Forgot to add that in, worked in a consulting firm. So I've worked both within businesses in the corporate world and as a consultant, and then now in my own business. And the common thread through it all has been in supporting people to get really clear on what matters to them, whether that's as a leader or that's in the job that they choose, or that's in exiting a business. And then it became the natural progression as I was nearing motherhood I got clear before I became a mother that I wanted to work with moms. There was something within me that was so drawn to mothers that I would coach at work. Mothers are in workplaces, obviously, and I coach and and was partnered through with a lot of them throughout different programs that I was leading. And I started to see common patterns and common inner beliefs amongst mothers and something really drew me to that transition to motherhood. And so when I did become a mom myself, that's when I discovered the area of matrescence Mm -hmm. and got a name and a concept for what I had seen mothers experiencing. And I, this major bonfire was lit inside of me to bring it to the wider world, to be part of the activism of bringing matrescence to more moms and beyond moms, not just moms, for all of us to understand what matrescence is. Yes. Okay. Do you want to teach us what matrescence is for those who don't know? Yeah, of course. Quite simply, I'll start with Dr. Orly Athan, who is the leading researcher and can be credited with bringing this world to the, the modern day world. Matrescence like adolescence. That's her analogy. Matrescence like adolescence. And matrescence is the profound transformation that a person experiences physically, psychologically, socially, economically, and existentially as they become a mom and also journey through motherhood. So it's this shift from, well, across all five domains, from physical all the way through to existential or spiritual. It's ultimately the identity shift Mm -hmm. that you experience as you become a mother, but it's not just the early days of motherhood. It continues as you grow and evolve throughout the different transitions that motherhood brings in your life. So cool. So how did you learn that term? How did you come across that finding and (laughs) and start reading about that? Yeah. I found it through Googling, which I think is incredibly <laughs> ironic. <laughs> I wish there was a, a a more powerful way that it had been you know. gifted upon me. But <laughs> I met when I <laughs> when I was expecting my yeah, when I was expecting my son, I I had spent my life supporting others through transitions professionally and and then in recent years in my career, I was supporting people in their own personal development and seeking their purpose and uncovering more about who they really are. And so as I was expecting my son and experiencing these shifts for myself, I was like, there's, there's gotta be something like going on. Like, what is the shift I'm feeling? And like, just started getting to the Googling. And I honestly don't even know within the layers upon layers of, as we get into like the dark hole of Google, how I got there, but I found this word and I started to just read and try to find as much as I could about it. And there isn't and there wasn't a lot that's really readily available about it. So 
I, I just did all the exploration I could, found any podcast I could to learn about it, any resources. And ultimately I connected with Dr. Orly Ethan and she became one of my mentors and I worked well. Oh, you're one kin- you're, you work together now in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. yeah. So she supported me as I learned about matrescence and as I was launching my business and supported me up until the end of last year. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Okay. Well, that also ties into this conversation in a way, something that I often think about as mentorship. So how did you approach that mentor relationship? Mm. Well, she takes on like, I guess like consultations and mentees. And so I remember going, I remember finding about her work and finding her website. And it was when I was launching my business and I was like, I don't think I fit the category of people who she works with. I don't know. Like there was so much doubt. I was like, I'm just going to email her. Like I'm going for it. And just like boldly sent the email and took her a little bit to write back, but she was like, yes, like, of course, like you're the type of people, you're the person I take so many people a year and it's who I work with. And I, you know, let's, let's see if the engagement feels right for the both of us. That's wonderful. So that's how easy it can be. People just send the email. It's true though. (laughs) Just send the email. I'm not even being cheeky about it. I honestly believe, yes, just send the email and see what happens. If you don't hear back, it doesn't mean that they didn't read it. Maybe it will take them a month. Maybe you won't hear back and then you try again or you send someone else an email or whatever it is, but mentorship can come in all forms and can be, you know, that relationship can be created in so many different ways. And it can start with an email. Yes, completely. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so many reasons for me. Like, I didn't feel like I was far enough in my business. I didn't feel good enough. I'm not in the academic world. There were so many reasons why I wasn't going to reach out to her that were like internal beliefs of my own. But just, like, just send it and see what happens. Yeah, good for you. Okay, so that kind of leads me to want to ask you about career accomplishments. And specifically, I would love to hear from you. What is, like at the moment, what is your most like, I was going to say accomplished moment, but your greatest career highlight to date. I think there's two. One would be when I worked at Lululemon and Lululemon or to the head office of Lululemon here in Vancouver. And they created a new team called Mind Philosophy. And I joined that team as it was founding. And really the mission and the purpose of that work was to support the collective of Lululemon around the world to uncover their purpose and to live their purpose. And I got to travel around the world and meet people from the Lululemon Collective and lead retreats and really support people in this deep and important personal work of what is their purpose in this life. And that to me is was an extraordinary amount, like an extraordinary time in my life. I worked with an incredible team who became close friends and the values alignment in my work, it just felt so right. So that was a, a major highlight that I will always look back on so fondly and shifted my life yeah. in terms of the work that I do now. Is this where you, like during that time where you like, now is the time I need to move into doing my own thing? Not that you did it like tomorrow from that, that moment, but is that where the fire was really starting to stoke for you around that? Definitely. It's like, it's interesting as in leading people through uncovering their own purpose and my own purpose being to lead with kindness. Mm -hmm. It's like, as I led through people through, I led others in uncovering their purpose and living their purpose. It definitely stoked the fire to want to lead and live mine. And that evolved. It's like, it started and when it starts in different ways or looks different ways for me to lead with kindness. But as I, 
got to know more mothers and work more intimately with mothers, that's where this calling came. And again, my business, I would say it took five years for me to start my business, Mm -hmm. truthfully, of unpacking and unraveling and getting more clear. Mm -hmm. But from having the first like call inside of what I wanted to do to when it actually happened was about a five-year timeline in in that time was when I was on that team at Lululemon. And a lot of the work that I did there personally was in unpacking my own beliefs I had about myself, my own beliefs around perfection and imperfection and showing up as myself and being authentic and letting it be messy, like all these common things you hear, but really having a deep personal experience of what that means to me in my life. Yes. The second highlight, which we're talking about is in leading the work that I do now and starting my own business and actually doing it. Anyone who has started their own business knows the leap of faith that it takes to start a business and the risk that it takes and the hard work that it takes and the boundaries that it takes and the, (laughs) the community that takes, like I am my own help desk in IT, building my website all the way through to facilitating experiences and hoping to, you know, transform and shift perspectives on motherhood in the world, like and everything in between. And it's such a highlight in my life of like everything that happens is because I'm I'm working for it. And that's with the help of my community around me. I'm not doing it alone, but like the work happens because I'm showing up for it. Okay. So the next question that I have for you is the opposite of the, your career highlight. Where has been or what has been your greatest career failure to date? Mm-hmm. And you can take failure in whatever way. You yeah. Want. Yeah. When I worked at the top tier law firm in Australia, I think back on that time and it was all at once a high in my career, but it also was filled with a couple of instances where people who were hired on to the team that I was working on and I was a leader of that team, I... I let my ego get in the way of our relationships and I thought I knew better and I thought I could do it better. And I really damaged those relationships and I hurt those people. And that really is something that sits with me of like, I was so caught up in the amount of work I had to do and how busy it was. And like in the pressure of a law firm and the pressure cooker and all the things that needed to be done that I didn't make the time to really be empathetic and to be really authentic with those two people and we got by but the relationships weren't healthy they weren't thriving and I certainly didn't mentor or support those people in the way that I could and it's because my ego was was present Mm -hmm. so how did you was that something that you recognized like closely thereafter were you in the thick of it when you had that realization yeah, at what point in your reflection did you relax that? I think I think it was after. I wouldn't say it was while it was happening. We were having hard conversations and trying to find our way through our relationships and navigate our differences, but I still felt like I was right. Yeah. <laughs> while it was happening. <laughs> and it's even in contemplating it as time has gone on. I mean, that's quite a while ago now. It's it's eight, nine, ten years ago. Yes. But it's in the reflection that I can really see who I was and I can now admit who I was being right. <laughs> before I couldn't, before I couldn't admit it. Yes. And now, now it's like, yeah, that's who I was. And that caused that damage to those relationships and that hurt to those people. Yeah. And then did you go on to lead people through like in other organizations as well? Like have people report directly into you? In that organization was when people directly reported into me. We had a team of about, I should remember now, eight or nine that reported to me. Yeah. And it was such a fun team because it was in 
I just want to say, I think it was 2009 to 2013, and we were a fully remote team, like across different locations before remote was a thing. And it was one of the most connected teams I've ever felt a part of, which was really extraordinary. So I really hold that experience now as the world has changed and how we work, but knowing what's possible in terms of connection when you're not together. Yes. And, and then after that, no, I didn't lead people formally. After that, I've led projects through my work through Lululemon and in indirect ways, but I haven't been in an official people leader role since then. So in the indirect ways then, can you tell me how or tell us how you've taken that experience of the past and applied it to how you navigate those relationships today? And maybe it's not even... Mm you know, in the informal project management, but just the relationships that you Mm -hmm. have with the people that you've worked with. Mm. I think that now the biggest thing that drives me when I think of my purpose of leading with kindness, the biggest thing that drives me is understanding other people Mm -hmm. and like really being kind to myself and really being kind to them. And so I think of instances are flashing through my mind now of indirectly leading people and how would I what I care the most as a leader in my work is that other people feel seen and heard and understood and validated. And that applies to whether we're working on a project together in the past or now in the mothers who I work with. It's like, I so want people to feel understood and seen and empathized with. Beautiful. So what, a, um, unfortunately for those two people of the past that you referenced that you heard, and I say that with, I say that with a smile because, and I do, I obviously be, we feel for them, but how many people have benefited also from you having mm. that learning and those experiences is also a beautiful thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. What is the greatest piece of career advice you've ever received? I have to really think about this one, that you don't have to have it all figured out before you do it. It is simple and yet it's true. And I know for me, historically and growing up, perfectionism was a through line in my life. And so really starting to understand this and like feel it and embrace it and live with it and recommit to it over and over again is like, I don't have to have it all figured out. When I launched this business, I by no means have it had it figured out and I still don't. And I don't think I ever will because that's not the name of the game. The point isn't figuring it out. Yes. <laughs> it's about being flexible to the needs of what people need and bringing my own service and passion to people and gifts to people in front of me like, and finding that collision between the two of like, how can I be in service and what do people need? And I don't have to have it sorted out. Mm-hmm. I don't, you don't need the beautiful website. You don't need, you know, perfect business plan. You don't need the, we were talking about before, Jenna, you don't need like the whole launch plan of how in the marketing, perfect marketing plan. Like you can actually just do it and try it and then you can learn and you can try again yes. and you can just keep on trying and testing and experimenting. And I have brought this attitude to my business now of fun and experimentation to be like, oh, that totally fell flat. (laughs) And like not taking it personally, just going like, what can I learn from this? And what would I do differently next time? And not seeing myself as a failure, Mm -hmm. which I know 20 year old me would have done. Mm -hmm. I think about how much pressure is taken off when you can go into it from that perspective of just learning and having fun. That's Mm -hmm. what we're all here to do is to have fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So in connecting with friends and coworkers who have decided to full-time parent, what are some of the things to be aware of in our language when we're connecting with them? And so this came up for me. I was with a group of people. We went out for dinner and one of the conversations that I overheard happening was someone say to someone else, 
who is currently a full-time parent. So now that the kids are both in daycare, like, what's your plan? And my heart sunk in that moment. I, I, I almost, you know, it was loud in there. I was not fully in the conversation. I wanted to like, like, I don't know. I could feel myself be like, she doesn't need to have a plan. Like, what are you talking about? Daycare is like for three hours. What do you like? She's <laughs> dropping off for half an hour at the front and she's picking up for half an hour at the end. She's got an hour of time and she's probably doing something not for herself during that hour, like grocery shopping. So you can feel that my emotions in this. So when I had heard this, I was like, oh, I really want to chat with Kaylee about this on the podcast because I feel like she'll have some, some good insight and perspective to bring. I love that you felt the fire Mm -hmm. inside of you when you heard that, because that's what I, I hope to stoke within people to bring about change for there to be ultimately change as a result of the fire, right? First fire for the sake of fire, like don't suppress it. But then also I, I think fire and anger and those feelings that you have where you're like, ah, like those are activism moments where it can bring about change. And so something got lit up in you when you heard that and as you just said, it's about like questioning her time and what's her plan and how she's going to spend it. And what I really hear in that is that we have a cultural obsession with busyness and productivity and work. And by work, I mean paid work. Mm-hmm. Notice how the conversations always default to it's like, oh, hi, when you meet someone, it's like, oh, hi, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Right? Totally. You can think of being asked that probably a million times in your life. And we think of like, oh, like, yeah. So what do you do for work? Like that's such a cultural conversation that we're a part of. And I'm really personally trying to shift that in how I speak with people of it not being a question that I ask mm-hmm. or broadening it to like, how do you like to spend your time? Mm-hmm. What keeps you busy? Yeah. And I think in that case of, I, I th- really thought of this as my son started preschool in September and thinking about, I don't know, everyone's situations in terms of whether they engage in paid work or their full-time parenting, but I like to keep it simple of like, oh, hi, like as I'm talking to like, what are your plans today? Mm-hmm. Or what have you got on today? Rather than like, oh, are you going to work now? Yes. <laughs> because I think what we do is we devalue the work of parenting by asking that question. It's like, yeah, I am going to work. I'm caring for my children. And that is work. I'm just not paid for it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like we are putting paid work on a pedestal when we are asking that question. Like, so what are your plans now? Like, the subtext that you're was in potentially in that dinner conversation was like, are you going to work now? Are you going to do paid work now? Because you now have the time and any opportunity I can take to value the work of parenting and specifically the work of mothering, I will take it. Mm -hmm. So some things we can say instead is like, what's going on for you in this season of life? Mm -hmm. Or how are you feeling in this season? Now now your kids are in full-time care what's going on for you in the season of life? Mm -hmm. Or what are your plans in this next season? What are your plans today? And not assuming that people want to work. On the flip side, notice if you're always defaulting to talking about work with people who do work and how could you ask about their families and their life outside of work? (laughs) Like they're whole people. They're not just working machines. So how can we broaden that to ask about beyond the workplace? Yeah, that's so great. Thank you. Okay, two quotes that I pulled from your Instagram tiles. Um, I'm going to read them out and then I would just love for you to share like where that came from and any Mm -hmm. additional thoughts for them. So one of them is, Mm -hmm, and I think it ties into this conversation that we're having already. So one is no generation has done this before. Parenting and particularly mothering is very different to the context of generations before us. Mm -hmm. That 
stems from the work and the study that I have done with Dr. Sophie Brock, who's a sociologist in motherhood studies. And she expanded my perspective, like dramatically expanded my perspective in terms of how we view socially the role of a mother. And it's studied, it's looked at generationally, how we have viewed mothers has shifted and continues to shift. And so part of that quote you just read is that the context in which we're mothering is so different from the one from the generation before us. Let's take our own parents. The context now in which we're parenting is so different than the one in which my parents parented. There was no, well, very little, there was little conversation around sleep or sleep training. It wasn't, are you baby led weaning or are you puree feeding? It wasn't like attachment or authoritarian. Like they're, the access to information that they had was so it was so much less than it is now. Now there's a plethora and too much information at our fingertips and there is often an overthinking. But the pressures have intensified in this generation. Social media is a huge factor in that of the pressures that mothers feel in order to be, like to hold up the ideals of what it means to be a perfect mother. And that is something that the previous generation won't understand. And so often I remind mothers of this because people get into situations with their families or with their in-laws and they're seeking validation or understanding from their parents. Mm-hmm. And it just likely won't be there because they parented in a very different context than what we did, than what we are. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's more. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the future of how much is going to change between now and when our children, like specifically the ages that our children are but social media mm-hmm. and like all of the things mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it and terrified at the same time mm-hmm. yes <laughs> like, b- both yeah me too yeah okay the next one you're not meant to go back to who you used to be and then I think about this in the context of parenting and just growing as a person and such a beautiful reminder and so I would love for you to share a little bit about this one too so you're not meant mm-hmm. to go back to who you used to be mm-hmm. If we come back to matrescence, like adolescence, and that beautiful analogy from Dr. Ethan, when you were in your teenage years, throughout that time, through those years, you then became arguably an adult afterwards, and you were not meant to go back to being a child. And the same is true for motherhood. When you become a mother, you grow and you evolve, and you may uncover more about who you are, what matters to you, your roles in life new areas of activism, new values, new contemplations might surface. And you don't go back to who you were before becoming a mom. It just isn't so. And I think we have a cultural conversation around like physically what that means for moms of like no more bounce back culture Mm -hmm. as in no more like forcing yourself to fit into the jeans that you used to wear before having a child, no more trying to force your body back. But I want to extend it beyond that of you also don't, you don't go back to how you used to think, to how you viewed the world, how you engage in paid work, how you planned your time. There is an, there is an evolution and some of it is really hard and some of it is really difficult and comes with a lot of grief. And some of it is very liberating and like freeing of like, oh, I, I see so many mothers no longer tolerate what they used to tolerate in their work or like to really like they have this new fire in them that can advocate for themselves in their own households that set boundaries that they never have before. Like there's a lot of power and fire that comes in this evolution too. But I really encourage and I look at myself often like how am I comparing myself back to who I used to be and where do I need to change the scorecard, if you will? Like where am I holding myself to something that is just no longer a reality? 
So good. What do you think, as you as you were sharing that, I was thinking about parents. So what is the difference between then a mother figure experiencing this and then like a father figure experiencing this? Or what would the version be for the father figure in this? In relation to matrescence? Yeah. Mm. It, matrescence specifically refers to the maternal figure, as you said, and I, I don't believe there's an area of patrescence. People ask me that sometimes. I don't think that there is. There is an emerging conversation around fathers as well and the mental health of fathers and the shifts that fathers go through. And I would say some of the research within matrescence also looks at um, same-sex couples, if you will, so whether people identify as a female or not. Yes what applies like in the brain changes and whether you expect like you are pregnant and deliver a baby or whether you adopt, like there's a lot of similarities or not even similarities, like the same changes happen amongst mothers, which is interesting too. But in terms of, I think, I think the conversation around fathers is still to come and still to be unpacked and unraveled. And the conversation around matrescence is so new. I mean, this world, this word, sorry, hit the modern world really, Dr. Athan brought it into Columbia University really around like 2008, 2009. And Dr. Alexandra Sachs, a reproductive psychologist, a psychiatrist, sorry, in New York, also did a TED talk around that time. So like, that's not that long ago yeah, no. that we've started to talk about like the wellness of mothers and the personal growth of mothers yes. and how motherhood can be a time of personal evolution and extreme personal development, that the conversation is widening beyond just the mental health of mothers. Like this is so new in the world. Yeah. Like people becoming, this is the thing that gets me so lit up, like people becoming mothers since the beginning yes. of time. And yet it's in the last 15 or less exactly. years that we've started to talk about and research and explore the growth and the changes that are happening for mothers. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So I guess my question was like around the default parent maybe is actually more what it Mm. is. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the research, what the research says over the next even few years, Mm. because I don't know, I always think like, oh, it was just, you know, it's just a short time ago, like all, all kinds of different technology and whatnot that we that we live with every day. So this research, I'm sure, is we're going to learn a lot more in a short amount of time over this next little bit here. Mm-hmm. And I think the role of father is changing in a, a great way, and that will take time too. But the role, yes. the classically, if you think of the father being like hands off and providing for the family, like that is changing totally. in the modern world, and that is impacting the role of a mother as well. And so. I'm really curious to see how the pandemic has shifted that and like what will come in future in like five, 10 years of how we'll look back at this time to be like, how, what role did this play and how we now view the role of mother? Yeah, so cool. Love it. Okay. My last set of questions for you are the lightning round. <laughs> and I'm going to start with the business podcast or book that you're listening to or reading right now. I just finished an extraordinary book and I probably read two books a year. (laughs) So this is saying a lot that I finished it. It is called Do Less, Do Less by Kate Northrup. The full title, I'm actually want to give you the full title. It's Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time and Energy Management for Busy Moms. And I would highly, highly recommend it. It gives both the research around doing less and why it's important. And then it gives practical and, and practical and simple experiments for moms to put into practice in their life to make change in terms of their energy and their time. I love that to buy it <laughs> and I'll, it's really good I'll list the links as well in the show notes so that everyone can access mm-hmm. it if they choose okay what are your best practices for managing your calendar for the week ahead 
In this question, actually, do you mean in my whole family or at work? I was thinking work, but you can tell us yeah. from both perspectives. If you I'll do. I'll, I'll I'll comment primarily on work because I work two days a week, and after thirteen and a half years of working five days a week, and the last eighteen months of working two days a week. I am still learning what it means to work part-time compared to what my brain thinks yes. is possible in having five days a week. So talk about comparing myself to who I used to be yeah. and not going back to who I used to be. Like this is like forever and continuing to be a lesson for me. So how I best manage my calendar is in, especially having my own business is in every week I have my list of must do's this week. Like these are the must completes. Mm-hmm. And I'm realistic about what that is because if I could be like, I need to do this and this and this, like realistic top three, what are the top three must do's? And then I actually block time in my calendar to do them alongside my client work. So I make sure that, and I look further than a week at a time, but I really make sure like the time is carved out so that I have time to actually complete the work rather than just being in client meetings and programs. So I think that's underestimated the time to complete the work compared to like actually being in client work. (laughs) So that's, it's like, I keep a top, Top tips, manage my calendar, my must do's. And then I keep a list always running my phone of like my, I call it my dreamy to-do list. And these are the things I'd like to do in my business. It's an, it's called my dreamy to-do list. And then there's like an actual like practical, like admin to-do list. (laughs) Thank you. Those are things I can add to and park them for later. The dreamy ones are the ones that we want to spend our time mostly doing, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. One day. Um, Interview question candidates must always be prepared to answer. I think, Jenna, you've spoken about this probably a lot on your Instagram I've seen, but the most simple but question you will always get asked is, so tell me about yourself. Yes. Be prepared. <laughs> it's usually the first, to be prepared. <laughs> it's usually one of the first, if not the first question and be prepared for it. Yes. Like how do you, and how, how do you want to tell your story and how do you want to tell it in a way that conveys who you are and how do you want to tell it authentically and how could you even tell it as a story rather than just like a linear you know, chronological progression, like actually make your mark right from the beginning in terms of tell me about yourself. Love that. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) Your top (laughs) tip for standing out in the job market. Hmm. This comes back again to authenticity. And I think we hear this a lot. So I'm at risk here of being a major cliche, but I think authenticity standing out in the job market is in being honest with yourself about what you want and being honest, you know, in your experience, being honest in what you want to go for, like just being transparent and honest. I think companies really do value that. What is the number one action everyone listening can take to own their career? To be unapologetic about what you want. And by that, I mean, you don't have to explain to anyone about what you're doing in your career. If you want the promotion, go for the promotion. If you want to take a step down, take a step down. If you want to leave the workforce altogether, because that's actually what you want, leave, take a pause. If you want to step back into the workforce, you don't need to explain it. I'm like, be unapologetic, get clear on what really matters to you and what you really want, not the definition of what success is by everyone else, but get clear on what matters to you and then unapologetically go for it. That's wonderful. Thank you. And where can everyone find you? Thank you so much for this conversation. I want everyone to add you to their Instagram, start to follow you. Where can they find you? Thanks, Jenna. Yeah, they can find me on my Instagram. As you said, my handle is my name, Kaylee Benjamin. And I am 
I am, I said it last night and I liked what came out of my mouth. I'm like, I am seasonally active on Instagram. I'm going through a season right now where I'm not overly active on Instagram and I am learning so much in my own personal development with my relationship to Instagram, but you can message me and you can find a lot of interesting information and links on there about my work. And I may not be posting, but I'm active in other ways through there. And you can also find me on my website, which is KayleeBenjamin.com. And you can read more about the work that I do coaching mothers one-on-one and group programs as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I loved connecting with you and I just think you're such a bright light and you add so much value to the conversation. I know you're making such a huge impact in so many people's lives and just thank you for being who you are and following your passion Mm -hmm. and doing exactly, you know, walking, walking, talking the talk and walking the walk for all of us to look, Mm -hmm. um, look to and be inspired by. Thank you. Thank you, Jenna, for having me. What I love so much about Kaylee's career journey is that through patience and following her passion, she continued to make steps closer and closer to her calling of working with mothers. Before entrepreneurship, she found a way to incorporate her calling in her everyday work while still working for big business. This is something we can absolutely take and apply to our careers today. I'm grateful for Kaylee and her dedication to helping mothers understand, live, lead, and love through the explorations of matrescence and encouraging moms to focus on personal wellness. From me and all the mamas out there, thank you for your advocacy, Kaylee. Now, before we go, I have a small favor. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review and share with a friend. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Own Your Career, and I'll leave you to think about one of the last few words Kaylee shared with us, a little advice and encouragement. Get clear about what matters to you, and then unapologetically go for it. I'll see you next week. 